When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. Kia ora everyone and welcome into the best of the SESH podcast for the month of August. Producer Ben Francis here and thanks for listening in. We have been running these podcast specials for most of the year, but if this is your first time tuning into one, thank you, we appreciate the support. These are designed so you can hear some of our favourite moments from the month just gone and boy did we have a superstar lineup in the month of July with some big names joining the show. Our best chat was with former South African fast bowler Mornay Morkel. If you're a regular listener to the show, you would know that Mornay has been on the show before, but he'd always wanted to return to talk rugby, and that's what we got him on for, although things took quite a serious turn when questions around loyalties were thrown around. Let's talk rugby. Oh, the wheels are falling off South Africa. One <laughs> win, and the All Blacks fans are back to their arrogant, annoying best, Mornay. What happened last week? Listen, you guys planned it very well, because... I knew, I know we were surprised <laughs> when you, you, you used Grant as, as an excuse that he was not you know, in studio, but you, you knew like uh, Alice Park, the guys had a chance of, of a victory there. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Um, yeah, I, I just think the box are on a high, you know. After, since the World Cup, I went back home for, for a couple of weeks and, you know, just to see at school rugby, our professional and other boys are training and you know, from there you go into your varsity cups. Uh, rugby is really healthy in South Africa. And, um, you know, the box is obviously still on, on cloud one, uh, cloud nine. It's a fantastic squad. Um, now Sprites, you know, they haven't seen any rugby for, for, for decades. And, you know, with COVID, the turnout there was always going to be massive. Um, so, yeah, once, you, once you've got that sort of 50,000, 60,000 people behind you and, and a, confident, a confident box squad, it's always going to be, be hard. Um, but I, I, think, I think, you know, sort of looking back, um, you know, South Africa always when we played the All Blacks and Grant, you would know, you know, because we used to wake up in the mornings in four, five, and watch those games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was always about competing and not losing. You know, getting that, that 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 losing margin for it not to be too big. And I think sort of we've got that confidence now that we can beat the All Blacks, All Blacks now. And you know, home and away. I think in the last sort of rugby uh, championships, we you know we did extremely well with that. So. Um, yeah, I think you know, for the for the box to go out and put a performance like that, it's it's, it's also like you said, it's a sport. It's, it's great for sport because now you know the All Blacks will find a way to, to get back into the game and, and dominate world rugby like you guys always do, and that like that again will bring out a, a fantastic motivational story on, on Netflix that we're all going to watch because there's nothing on a Netflix. <laughs> so we're all, all dying. For, we're all dying for a new book. We're all dying to read. Uh, we're all dying for a new, you know, rugby series to come out, and I think it's just now sort of that cycle for the All Blacks to come back, you know, before World Cup, 
because I potentially will win the World Cup. And then, you know, it's going to be a great story again to, to inspire millions of youngsters to, to take that passion and become <laughs> a rugby player. Yeah, well, we all had to deal with Matt Damon doing a bad South African accent uh, all those years ago on Invictus. Uh, I, I don't know what actor will play in Foster. Uh, Danny, I was going to say Danny DeVito, but that's just mean. He's way taller. I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Grant. Oh, Mornay, did you, did you follow the Ian Foster saga much with the, the coach of the All Blacks? And have you ever experienced, um, when you were playing for South Africa or the Proteas, did you ever experience a little bit of a coup with the coach and whether he was going to be in and out. Even the public so, I guess, against you, or a certain section, I should probably say, of, of the public is against your side. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, there's always always going to be, uh, the coach will always be in, in the spotlight, you know, especially when when you, you're coaching one of the, the biggest sporting teams in the world. I mean, I remember, um, you know, with, with Gary Kirsten, when we went to the number one in the world, with a test team, you know, Russell Domingo followed him after that, and everybody was sort of, you know, is Russell the guy to lead the team? And you know, we went, we started off to to a shaky start, and um, and you know, this, there was a lot of headlines in the newspapers. But it's so important, you know, for the senior players to help the coach out in that situation. I think, you know, New Zealand they've they've got that. Um, listening to all the interviews, you know, they, they've got the belief. It's it's just a confidence game, and. Yeah, things can change so 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 quickly. So I mean, you don't become a, a bad team overnight. And you know, the steel is there, the glass is there. Um, I just think also, you know, other teams sort of lifted their their level level a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's once you get that confidence, you can lead the team, you know, and, and get that that monkey off your shoulder. Life becomes a little bit easier. And I just think, you know, the islands and South Africa, they on that that stage now where they found a blueprint. They've got a formula. Of, of how to, to to play the All Blacks, and um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they'll they'll you know they'll they'll they'll, they'll make a comeback. I mean, obviously after winning at Alice Park, which is a fortress of South Africa, it was a massive booster for them, um, which is great. So I'm hearing more now that you think there's obviously going to be a Netflix documentary now and the All Blacks to win the World Cup. I mean, we've got uh, Australia and Argentina coming up. I think those are. Those are big games in terms of Ian Foster, and you talk about the senior players getting behind the coach. But you think that uh, All Blacks favourites going into the World Cup? I think there'd be a lot of uh, All Blacks fans that would disagree. Well, the great question is, where do South Africa and New Zealand possibly meet at a World Cup? Um, uh, without putting words in your mouth, I'm, I'm detecting you will say Ireland, Scotland, Tonga, Romania will be no match for the mighty boxing group play, that the Springboks will top Pool B. <laughs> Are New Zealand good enough to get past France? France are an excellent Ooh. side. So oh, there could I mean, be a possibility, Mornay, where New Zealand, and this is this is no crazy crazy idea, <laughs> New Zealand finish runner-up in Pool A and we meet in the quarterfinals. Oh, wow. And we all know what happens there, Mornay, where New Zealand yeah, and well, South Africa play in a quarterfinal. Yeah, yeah. France, Ireland, you know, uh, South Africa, New Zealand. I mean, those guys, they're, they're, yeah. They're playing fantastic rugby, but for me, it's just New Zealand. Yeah. They 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 know how to win big games. They know how to close down big games. Uh, I, I thought South Africa, the Springboks, especially in the last Test match, you now we were forced um, going sort of behind uh, early. We were forced to bring in our, our bench. And our bench is normally our guys as we bring on the last 20 minutes to put in a power performance. But um, we fought so hard, you know, to, to to get you know into back into the game, and then we had that slight little lead, but. When it came to that last 20 minutes, 
um, you know, All Blacks is just too, too key, too, too powerful and, and too clinical and, and disciplined. So um, I think for me that, that is something that will always be there, there about them. And, you know, when it comes to those big, big knockout games, um, yeah, it's, it's about who, who, who can play calm, who can play disciplined. Um, and I think I think just the skills that the All Blacks have, they'll, they'll come close. And if you're there in that, that top sort of top four, top five teams going into the World Cup, um, yeah, you always, always come close. I think you're in with a chance. Enough of your pleasantries. Warno, <laughs> we've got two minutes. I want these nasty questions. I want <laughs> I want a fiery, fast bowling spell towards Grant Elliott. Oh, Laura no. yours, Mr. Morkel. You know, yeah, the timing about it is it's, it's, it's not, no, no, not ideal. You know, obviously, when it was just about the rugby chat and, you know, Grant, obviously, you know, he's living in New Zealand and plays for the Black Caps and stuff like that. But surely deep inside of them, when the box go down, you know, there is still a bit of bit of bit of sort of not bitterness but a bit of sort of ah you know we lost again uh, because you know you, you can't tell me on air that you know it's, it's all all black for him uh, as a South African when you're born and when you grow up you know your dad <laughs> when you go to your first scan he'll ask okay is there you know well, tell me about the scan is there a willy and then if it's a rugby <laughs> that's uh, it's past your nose Grant be the next, but he's going to be the next box so you know for me uh yeah, the conversation with Grant is obviously, you know, I, I don't buy the thing that it's all in the zero. I do feel there's still a bit of, still a bit of ah when the box go down. Well, listen, Mune, we've run out of time. So my parents came, yeah, probably eight years ago, and they're still Springbok supporters. But I have to say that yeah. I'm an all-black supporter now. I think playing for... When I when I started playing for New Zealand, I think it was different then, Orne. Um And I mean, you living in Australia now, I think if you played cricket for Australia, I don't know, maybe maybe you'd support the the Wallabies. But then again, they're not the greatest KP, team. KP, uh, no, that KP, was a short answer. No, no, KP. Well, look at KP. KP, he played for England, <laughs> lives in England, but he's, he's still a box supporter. He's every weekend. Yeah. Come on, BP. Come on, my guy. Grant, it's yeah. Blood is green. He cannot. Well, we can. We can. <laughs> we can keep discussing that over the year of the show, Mornay, but I, I can hear the passion in your voice about coaching Namibia, and it, it's great to hear. Even though I tried to get you to Wellington, it just didn't work out. Uh, Namibia yeah. sounds a little bit sunnier, and uh, it sounds like you're having a great time with them. And uh, I guess forging your, your new journey as a, as a cricket coach in, in your new home, Australia. But we really appreciate you coming on the show, and lovely to hear your rugby insight. There's passion there as well. And also... The, um, <laughs> For us to view the and footage of back. you hitting do Michael Clark. Back. Yeah, do come back. And hopefully Daniel doesn't call you Mornal um, as we <laughs> sign off. Thanks a lot, Mornal. Yeah, Thanks, guys. So next time I'm coming with a polygraph test, Ron, for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do that. That's fantastic. Mr. Morkel, as he yeah. will forever be called in my mind, thank you so much for your time. We do appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Cheers, ladies Have a good day. Absolute champion. Morneau uh, Morkel joining us. Only oh. 309 test wickets uh, for those who don't know uh, the game of cricket, but clearly a massive box fan. Polygraph test. You want to get that going? Yeah. I wonder if you can buy those and trade me or something. Yeah, very days. reliable. I'm yeah. sure they will be. Yeah. Um, I just need to figure out a way to doctor the results. You can get those eight ball things that you shake. We could do it. That's probably as accurate. Like a dog with a bone then, wasn't he? <laughs> you wouldn't let go. <laughs> Would not let go. Yeah, still a sapphire. <laughs> <laughs> A polygram test? Yikes. Does Grant really want to do one of those? 
Well, actually, out of everyone on the show, he was actually the most excited, and he actually began inquiring about how much it would cost to buy one. I, I do love the mind of my co-host, Grant Elliott, after uh, being challenged to a polygraph test by Morno Morkel uh, in the last break. He's already thinking, oh, then I can put it on you and find out all your secrets, mate. I'm going to search polygraph testing unit and see if you can actually buy them online. Do you honestly think I would um, you know, sign up to do a polygraph with you and Ben Francis as uh, the Quizmasters? I've been very... Be signing a death warrant. I've been very transparent on the show, and I'd like you to be the well, same. Well, Morno Morkel basically accused you of being a liar. In the last, he did. Our last segment. If you're just tuning in, Morno Morkel, brilliant as always, talking cricket and rugby. The former South African fast bowler, and I mean fast and nasty. All six foot six or six foot five, as he is these days. Morno Morkel has done us a wonderful favour. This is a great idea. He he wants to put a lie detector test. He wants Grant Elliott to take a lie detector test to find out if there's any part of him that still roots for the Springboks. Morning, Michael. Clearly, does not believe a single word that came out of your mouth. No. So I've done. I've done a little bit of homework here. Yeah. Google gives you all the answers, so we can actually we can do one. We can do a polygraph examination, which can cost between seven hundred and five to eight hundred and forty-five, and then you've got to get a room booking, which is one hundred and fifty dollars. Or we can get what USB polygraph two, police edition. Oh, we can buy it online from Amazon. Yeah, that's probably. Absolutely terrible. For $139. So I've sent the link to producer Ben Francis. And and we'll, we'll send it up the chain and see if the bosses can buy it for us. Well, they used it on... Um, well, like, I'll take a recorder in and record his full lie detector test if they want to go the full one. Yeah. Well, I think we need evidence. We need the paper evidence. But this one was used on Love Island, so it must be really <laughs> must accurate. must be real. It must be it really must accurate. To, to see through all the bullshit on that show. <laughs> where they're lying all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think we just lost our Did listeners. you try it on with that girl? Yes, clearly I did. Because <laughs> that's what I'm on the show to do. I- I'd like to know, if there was one question you could ask one athlete from from today or the past, what would it be? And to the listeners out there, this this is a gold mine for you on double eight double three oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. One question to one person in a sporting landscape with our lie detector test on them, what are you asking? Hmm. Have, you, have you got anything, Ben Francis? You'll probably say, what were you doing in the toilet, Caelan Ponga? Uh, well, that could, that could be a good one, and it would clear lots of things up. Uh, oh, jeez. See, the, the problem with that question is it's so broad, and to be kind of put on the spot with it. Yeah, you've got to narrow it down. Like, like I could, I could think from a Warriors perspective, I'd want to know exactly what went on between kind of Mark Robinson and Matt Lodge when that whole ordeal played out. Uh, you know, among other things, you could say to you know, a few cricketers, you could say, "Oh, have you what have you been offered match fixing?" You know, things like that. There's so many different things you could ask someone in South Africa. Did they really poison the All Blacks in 1995? I've I've just got so many ideas just bouncing in my head. I don't know where to begin. But you'd like to find Susie, who might actually not be a thing, and ask Susie if you poison the All Blacks? Mm. I'm sure a lot of people, Ben, will agree with you on that one. Yeah, I'd like to ask the the All Black CEO if he's 100% hungry and faster. (laughs) Right. Are you really a hungry? Are you really? Are you really? Because I've been picking up some some vibes (laughs) from you that you might not be a hungry. (laughs) Are you really a hungry on him? And? And? What if he goes, yes, fail? Well, I mean, this one will tell you, the Amazon test. 
But I'd also like to ask Brendan whether he really wanted a bat first in the World Cup final. Battle bowl, if he had his time over oh, again. Oh, really? Yeah. Was there much chatter like about that? Do you guys have a bit of a hooey get-together and go, everyone offer their opinions, or is it just player? What, it afterwards? No, before. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. So it's, no. Just, it's just captain and coach. He might ask a few people, but I think that that just clouds your judgment. You just, as captain, you want to go, I think we should do this. You ask the coach, and he gives his opinion, and that's it. Like, you can ask a, a few people, but I think, you know, if you ask you the bowlers. Do you want to first? No, I would have liked to have bowled first. Why? Well, it's, a, it's final. We'd never been there. We hadn't played in Aussie. You couldn't I mean, lose in the first half of the game. Savings. Well, it would have been nice to sort of just get into the final, um, you know, just get a feel for it. Get your participation and we, certificate. And we had chased well during the tournament. Yes, you had, but the history at MCG over the three or four years before was score 240 and win. Mm. Yeah, we didn't Which is not a that. high bar. No, it wasn't a high bar, especially 150 for three. Yeah. 35th over. So that would not be that, that you've played out those sort of overs a lot in your mind. Oh, you play out that, yeah. those moments in sport. And, I mean, you think of the 2019 World Cup. I can't remember who we were speaking to. Oh, it was Mike Sandal uh, when we had him on the show. And we were talking about all those moments in that game that people will be replaying in their head when Trent Bolt caught the ball, mm. stepped back and stepped on the rope. Um, the Martin Guptill throw where it, you know, hits been Kumar Damasena, forgetting oh, the rules. Oh, forgetting the rules. Even the run, Martin Guptill yeah. was in, involved in as well. We had to come back Ma- to Maybe two. that's my question. I'll get Kumar Damasena, I'll slap on the lie detector and go, did you really know about that rule? <laughs> or were you really in England's camp? Yeah, I think there'd be a lot of umpires lining yeah. up. Yeah. Or we could go with the Daniel McCarty lie detector detector, which is I put my fingers on the, a person's pulse, look at their, their pupils. They look up and to the right, they're lying. So call 0800-150-811. Ask Grant Elliott any question about anything. Uh, and I'll get him to answer and I'll tell you if he's lying. Are you going to ask me right now? You've got your fingers yeah. on my pulse. You're yeah. looking into my eyes. Yeah. You're going to ask me if I'm a Springbok supporter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look left Do, and I'm going to go, no. Is there any part of you that supports the Springboks? Not one ounce. He's telling the truth. I have to say that. <laughs> to basically keep this relationship working. Otherwise, um, you know... It's going to make it pretty uncomfortable. That's very daring of you, Grant. And I actually have inquired about getting one. And sadly, the bosses have said, and I quote, we are unable to process your request as you are earning way too much money. Ouch. (laughs) Sticking with rugby, we are fortunate enough to be joined by former All Blacks captain Ian Kirkpatrick to talk about life on the farm on the beautiful east coast of the North Island. We also asked him about the current state of rugby, and safe to say, the Hall of Famer is worried. You've spoken in recent times um, about defences suffocating rugby. Um, I agree with you on that. Um, Previous years, the gladiatorial nature of the game has you worried about the long-term well-being. So you still follow the game. You obviously think very deeply about it. It's hard to ignore, though, this weekend. It's all about the All Blacks in South Africa um, as a former All Black, I'm sure you're desperate for them to win again. But, you know, what's your gut telling you about the challenge of taking on the box this weekend where the All Blacks currently are? Oh, yeah, they were, you know, they were in an awkward position. Obviously, what, you know, what the um, Irish um, put up against us. And so um, we are, I guess, going in probably... Um, not as confident as we would like to be against South Africa. And having seen South Africa 
play Wales. I know they they were you know they were lucky in a couple of, in one test I suppose to to win it, but you know they won in the the third one quite easily. But yeah, the the Savagan sides you know as we know over the years, particularly in the professional era, they've really picked these big guys. And you know we'll you know we'll be up against it in the, in the set pieces in particular where you know if you, if you don't dominate there you're going to struggle, and I I can see we're going to struggle with line our time with they're huge guys and they you know they're athletic, and so they'll be challenging us at our line out time so that's going to make it difficult for us to actually dominate and um, you know scrum time well we just hope we you know got the right scrum that uh, can put it with them but. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I guess we, who knows how they're going to play at the ABs. I mean, they're going to have to do something different to what they've done against the Irish, that's for sure. Um, and let's hope they've um, worked out something in the last 10 days because um, it's going to be a, a mighty battle there at 3 o'clock in the morning, our time, that's for sure. Ian, if you're in the dressing rooms, mate, what would be your message to the boys before going out and kick off? What would you be emphasising? What would you? What sort of words would you be saying? Well, they've really got to, you know, they've got to trust themselves, and um, and you know, this, that trust is is big in a in a team sport. You've got to trust each other and trust the guy beside you, or inside you, outside you, and so you've got to go out with that in mind because if you haven't got that trust in that teamwork you're going to forget in a battle so yeah it's all about um, well it comes down to self responsibility doesn't it you know you can say as much as you like um, mm. the coaches can and but you've still the guys individually have got to say to themselves you know this is my game my position I want to keep it I want to beat these guys we just got to have that that hard nosed attitude and for as long as you're out there, um, you've got to be pull it out. And uh, if you don't, you're going, to, you're going to let the side down, and so it goes right through the team. So that 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 that, that would be my message. Kiki, I know you're a legend, mate, and you're a humble man. <clears throat> Is there a moment, you know, when you're on the farm and you're just by yourself, or you're driving the tractor or something, you look back at a game, or you look back at a moment in your career, and you think? Geez, I was good there, or, <laughs> or a moment where you think that got away, and I wish I did that different. Not something that haunts you, but just something that just pops into your mind um, here and there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, some of those, some of those rugby memories are starting to get a bit distant <laughs> now. But <laughs> oh, I think I, I tell you what, I think I was lucky to have played in the in the era that I did. I don't know. Um, I think if I'd have Played in this era, maybe I might have been a damn wheelchair by now. If I was, if I was lucky to do that, even um, so, you know the the physicality of the game has got has got sort of ridiculous in my book. Yeah, I mean it's always yeah. it's always been a physical game, but it's sort of gone into that professional era and it's just become a a real race to the top to see who can be more professional than than any other team or any other individual. And I think. You know that's and you mentioned it early on that I you know I certainly do worry about the the player welfare of these guys after they finish yeah. playing and they get into their fifties and sixties and things start to go wrong because of what they they did in their rugby days and so that that's what really worries me and I'm concerned about these young guys coming on wanting to make it 
but in the process, um, uh, getting fairly well beaten up. And I just think it's sad that the game's been allowed to get what it is. It's always been a physical game, sure. But, you know, let's, let's have the physicality controlled and, and, and lessen the, that contact that the these players have to go into all the time. They put their heads down and they hope they get their heads in the right place because if they don't, they're going to be in trouble. And so, you know, we probably only hear half of what goes on and, and what happens afterwards after these big games. That these, some of these big hits that they go into, you know, the, oh, bodies, the bodies aren't made of steel, uh, but, they, you know, they certainly are, are well-developed and they, they're, you know, really well-trained, but it still doesn't take away the fact that they aren't made of steel. And so somewhere along the line, their bodies are going to, going to start disintegrating in some way. And yeah. so I'm, that's what I'm worried about. Ian Kirkpatrick there talking about the current state of rugby. He is very concerned and it will be very interesting to see what the future holds for the sport. Moving on now and our weekly Saturday session legend segment is a true highlight of every show. And over the year we have spoken to some true legends in sport. Kevin Campion, Yvonne Willering, Peter Alatini and many more. But one chat really caught the attention of our team and that was our interview with champion swimmer Moss Burmester. Moss achieved a lot during his career but one of the highlights was actually when he didn't even get a medal. And that was at the 2008 Olympics, where he was competing alongside Michael Phelps. The Olympics, the 200 yeah. meter butterfly final, um, one Michael Phelps wins it um, with a world record. You take another two seconds, and from 2006 through to 2008, you take another two seconds off. 154, you finish fourth. How often have you replayed that race over in your mind? Uh, a huge amount. Yep. Yeah. Um, I. It's really interesting. It took me a very long time to analyse and come to grips for that race, and I absolutely hate it. Hate the result. Um, yeah. It still works me today. And the reason is is not so much that I fin- it was finishing fourth. Again, it was this mindset thing, right? I was going in to win silver or better. I was going in to challenge Michael and and do well. And as I said, I I leading up to it, two thousand seven. Um, Jan Cameron um, at the time. So I changed coaches from Clive Power, shifted to Auckland and was training under um, Thomas Sansorg and Jan Cameron. And Jan Cameron, extremely well connected and respected globally around the world in the swim coaching. And she had organized with Bob Bowman and Michael Phelps and um, to go and join them at a training. Well, actually, they invited me to give Michael some competition and training. So I went over to um, the US Olympic Training Center in Colorado and it's at altitude there. And we stayed there, you know, like lived on campus there and trained for three weeks at altitude. And we would do the sessions we were doing. And it was, wasn't just Michael and me. There was also, I think, I remember in the squad, I think there was five Olympic, individual Olympic gold medalists. And just wow. in that there were about 25 swimmers there. And, and, and that's just the golds, you know, like there were, there were some phenomenal Peter Vanderke and, you know, a bunch of American swimmers that people wouldn't necessarily know of. Yeah. And, and other coaches too, John Ubinchek, people like that. And it was an incredible environment. And we had three, three weeks and we went 3-3-1, 3-3-1 like that. So we did three swim sessions of an hour and a half um, for the day. Next day we did the same and then we'd do one session and that would be our sort of recovery day. And then we repeated that for three weeks. And, and every second Man. day we were doing gym sessions and dry land and stuff. So massive, massive training week. And I got to know Michael reasonably well there. And 
um, you know, in each other. And so based off the back of that, then I had world champs where I, you know, won the gold. And again, it was an interesting race. So I knew the Polish boy and the Japanese boy were going to be sizing each other up. I purposely, it was a risk, but I purposely qualified on the outside lane. And again, I knew they would struggle to see me. And I put down using in my natural speed to get a lead and easily won that race, which was really cool. And that gave me a lot of, again, a lot of confidence going into the Olympics. And I, and I thought, you know, this is, I'm silver or better here. You know, I'm really going to challenge for it. And unfortunately, I got what Mahi Drysdale had, where I had the, a belly, a tummy bug. And I was, couldn't eat, couldn't keep food down. It was, you know, yeah. on the toilet all the time. And um, the, the interesting thing was, and I think, and I'm not judging Mahi for the way he approached it. I didn't make it public. I decided not to. And I think of very different circumstances, though. You know, Mahi had all this pressure and this expectation from the public, whereas, yeah, there was some of that on me, but not to his degree. Um, but my, so I thought, though, if I acknowledge that I'm sick, I'm giving myself a way out, you know, like I'm sitting there and saying, hey, I'm not at my best. Um, therefore, I'm not going to potentially race my best. Therefore, what does that mean for the result? And so I decided to kind of go, yeah, I'm sick, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to push through that. And what can I still do? You know, and so I kept it quiet, kept it under wraps. But unfortunately, as I said, you know, like I was second at the 150 turn right up there with Michael. A lot of people don't watch that um, the underwater piece of it too. I really hammered the turn. I've been working my underwaters a huge, huge amount because um, that's really important in the turn of fly. And I broke out, you know, again, right there with, with Michael. And in the last sort of 25, 30 metres, I really died over that last now it's hard to know did I go out too quick or did I just not have the energy because I was sick and that's yeah. the bit that I hate about yeah. the result is actually I don't know what I could have been capable of yeah. I knew I could have gone better if I hadn't been would that have been a medal would that have been you know challenging Michael and you know I've played that back in my head because he won eight golds and I was thinking you know it's kind of the David and Goliath thing you know like I would have been known as the one that stopped Michael from having a record breaking eight medals you know and all those sorts of scenarios play through your head and yeah, I absolutely hate, hate that outcome still to this day. And it took me a very, very long time to realise though, like analysing, normally we watch our races straight afterwards and I couldn't watch that race for six months. I, wow. you know, to analyse it, it I just couldn't, I just physically couldn't take it. And, but um, I, I realised um it was actually probably my greatest race and I put everything on the line you know the build-up is incredible and I and the reason I knew I put everything on the line is um I qualified in the outside lane Michael was lane four so he, he can choose which side of the pool to exit the pool from um and he decided to come out my way and the media um corner or the way you get funneled down through the media you know to do the interviews and stuff was actually on the opposite side of the then I got out but Michael came the long way around and I remember I got out of the pool and I was the last one to get out, even though I was right on the side there. And I was sort of trying not to show it, but my legs were absolutely gone. I could hardly walk. Like I was absolutely spent and I was, felt like I was going to collapse. And I remember I walked really, really slow and it was, and Michael caught up to me. And of course, Michael, you know, I see we've been training together, got to know each other. And of course, I congratulated Michael. I said, great race, Michael. And I shook his hand, but it looked like I got out of the pool and I waited for him. And then and later on, everyone said, you know, the, those who were watching the camera and the TV said, oh, you know, it was really nice of you to stand there and wait for Michael to congratulate him. <laughs> so <laughs> I, can't, I, mean, I, would have, I, I can't move. Would have. <laughs> but I was actually, the truth was I could hardly walk. I could hardly move. And I was, lactic acid levels were so high that I was just gone. 
And, uh, and, and that's why when I realized when I look at later, actually, it was probably my greatest race as in terms of um, result for where I was at with the sickness. And, and in fact, I could hardly walk, I hardly move. But uh, I still, to this day, absolutely hate that result. Seriously, guys, if you have not heard the full interview with Moss Burmester, go check it out. He was fantastic, gave very long and insightful answers. Definitely a true highlight from our Saturday Session Legends segment. Finally, another legend we had on the show was former North Otago captain Ralph Darling. We spoke to the dropkick king to talk about life as a Heartland player, and the guys found him hilarious. So when you made your debut, what were, what were you hoping to achieve? I'm guessing you weren't expecting to play for a decade and a half and then making the New Zealand Heartland Championship maybe at least half a dozen times. You know, what, what goals had you set yourself when you cracked the North Otago side? Uh, to be honest, I don't really have any goals, really. I just I just love my footy and, and just wanted to play week in, week out. You know, play footy and then, you know, have a few beers after and then work, head towards Tuesday training. But, yeah, um, had a pretty, pretty, not a half-decent run in the end. Oh, I think you're underselling yourself there, mate. To, to represent any province for over a decade, decade and a half, it's a, it's a brilliant achievement. Yeah, Ralph, one of the things that we find on these Legend Series and the people that we interview, they've got an absolute passion for the game and they've got longevity in the game. They've played for so many years. Where, where did your passion start? When you think back to that first time where you got a footy in your hand and you started playing, where, where can you uh, recount that that real passion for the game started? Um, I guess like any, any Kiwi kid growing up in New Zealand, watching the ABs from a young age, and, you know, every every spare minute you had a rugby ball in your hands and you're in the backyard kicking and, and pretending you were those those legendary All Blacks from back in the 90s. Okay, so what All Black were you in the backyard? Jonah. Jonah! Jonah on the, on the wing. <laughs> well, you, you chose a pretty yeah. good one. You chose a pretty good one. And you ran over the top a few people over over the years, a bit like Jonah. Might not have had the acceleration oh, over the over the first yeah, fifteen, yeah. maybe. <laughs> definitely yeah. not. Nah, definitely not. Nah. Jonah was, was a, always will be considered a legend of the game. Yeah. So, so Ralph, you obviously you had aspirations of being on that wing and running over people, but you <laughs> you became a hooker. When did you a hooker and a prop? When did you actually specialise in those positions? When when did it actually, um, I guess, hit you that hey, I'm, I'm not, not going to have those Jonah. fast twitch muscle yeah. fibres. I'm going to be more a scrapper up front. Oh, I don't think it ever hit me. I still think <laughs> Nah, but um, probably high school. There's no, there's no spot out in the backs for a fat, slow hooker prop. So eventually had to make the <laughs> to make my way in there. Did, did you did you have aspirations of of being an All Black? Obviously, when you were young. But was there a time in your career where you thought, "Hey, I'm going to give this a good go"? Um, when I was a kid, that was always the dream. But as you kind of grow up, you kind of realise that that's, that's not going to happen. And then you just focus elsewhere. And I was quite happy with just being a wee battler every weekend, um, playing for North Otago. I, I know you've got to get to the job, at, you know, uh, getting on a plane, focusing on, on the game ahead. I'm sure it's really hard to answer this, having done it for over a decade. But what would the highlights be playing in the Heartland Championship for you over those years, Well. 
Um, just probably meeting all the people that I've met. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of friends in a lot of the other unions that I've that I've played rugby with with the Heartland 16. And, and when you get to go away and you go to their hometowns, you know they'll they'll pick you up and take you around to their family and and meeting a lot of pretty special people. And then and then when you're at home and you and you're um you're winning at home is always special when your community and your family can come and watch you and you're getting the job done. It makes for a pretty special feeling. What's the best ground to go play at? And the worst ground, for that matter? Uh, the best ground would be Ruatoria in, um, in the East Coast. Uh, they come up on Saddleback and they, they're cheering you on. You can smell people smoking things that they shouldn't be smoking along the sidelines. It's, it's, it's a different atmosphere and it's a really special one. Um, the, that would be the best. The worst would be... Um, Probably Cook's Garden in Wanganui. It's always windy there. Yeah, that's... It's always pretty tough yeah, to get up. Yeah. There's probably one ground that I never mm. won at, so that's probably why I'm saying it. <laughs> yeah, they also had generally pretty darn good sides, didn't they? Um, yeah, uh, for right. sure. Although you, you, got a, you got a couple over them over the years. I, I'm pretty sure there was a certain drop goal. Who did they come against? Who, who did a drop goal come against? Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. I can't remember. There's been a lot of beers since then. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> it was, of course, the Butcher Boys. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was a story right around New Zealand a few years ago when that happened. Um, but it wasn't your first drop goal, right? You, you're a veteran at that type of thing. That, this was this was clearly in your armoury. Yeah, I've done it before. It was a club final. Um, uh, extra time. I was just sitting in the pocket having a rest again and all popped out. <laughs> uh, why not? Have a go and it went over. So did you call for the ball in the Meads Cup final? Or did the ball come uh, yeah, to did. you and you just reacted to it? Uh, we actually had a call for that move, but not me doing it. <laughs> so I just jumped in the pocket and, and used that call. I don't think our nine knew who it was passing to until it turned around. <laughs> <laughs> but you were captain, right? Yeah, I was captain. He was just doing what he yeah. was told, right? He was just doing yeah, what the captain exactly told. Right. told him. Exactly, exactly right. That's, le- that's leadership right there. Well, Ralph, I think like it's it's so it's so refreshing to hear um, you talk about your career in Heartland Championship because one thing that I noticed last year, and that was my first year sort of being involved in Heartland Championship while we, we spoke to people involved, is it's got a lot of soul. It does have a lot of soul. It hasn't been tarnished by professionalism and just the love of the game that people talk about. But also, we had some big names come back last year. So are there any big names uh, coming back this year for North Otago? Um, not at this stage. We have put the feeler out to Ben Smith. Um, if he would be keen for a run, he uh, he played for North Otago under 18 um, a few years oh, back. Nice. So we have, we have put the feeler out there. We just haven't quite heard back from his agent yet. So we're oh. hopeful. Well, in true Otago fashion, we should all go around to his house and knock on his door, right? Go play yeah, for I'd... North Otago. I, I'm, I'm encouraging people to do it, but not encouraging people to do it, if you know what I mean. Um, uh, yeah, and get in contact with North Otago. Uh, Ralph would love to have him on his side. That would be magnificent. I'm assuming when you heard me call Ralph the dropkick king, you probably thought he was a first five, but nah. He was a front rower, kicking drop goals in big finals during his career. How good is that from a front rower? 
boy, you'd love to see more of that in today's game. Anyways, that's all we have time for here on the Best of the Sesh podcast for the month of August. Thanks for listening in, and don't forget to rate and subscribe to hear more from Daniel and Grant. And the Saturday session will be back every week on SCNZ from 10am to 1pm. This is the Saturday session with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott.